Today's podcast is brought to you by Schiffer Craft. Since 1973, Schiffer Publishing has provided the craft industry with world-renowned authors and insightful books. With topics ranging from ceramics to fiber and textiles, floral design, glass art, woodworking, metal craft, and more. Turn to Schiffer Craft for expert knowledge and inspiration. Thank you so much, Schiffer Craft. And now, here's the show. Welcome to episode 197 of the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Craft Industry Alliance is a community for craft professionals where you can strengthen your creative business, stay up to date on industry news, and build connections within our supportive trade association. Check it out at craftindustryalliance.org. Today on the show, we're talking about pivoting from quilting to needlepoint with my guest, Christy Schrader Larson. Texas native Christy Schrader Larson is the creator of Initial K Studio offering modern quilt patterns and needlepoint designs to the market. Her designs are inspired by travel, as well as by putting her modern twists on classic quilt blocks. Christie's book, Southwest Modern, was published by Lucky Spool Media in 2017, blending a quilting book with a travelogue in the form of a beautiful coffee table book. You can follow her daily life with her two young sons and product development on Instagram at Initial K Studio. Christy Schrader Larson, welcome. Thank you so much, Abby. It's great to have you. And I know we met in person once, and I kind of think it was at QuiltCon, maybe. Is that right? Yeah, I think it. Yeah, I think it was at QuiltCon um, because it was it was the QuiltCon with a beautiful. We, we were both standing in front of the diamond. Oh, yes, the winner. And I think you and I, we start, I introduced myself to you because I recognized you and we just started chatting. (laughs) Yeah, yes, I remember that now. That was an incredible quilt. Um, Yeah, it was phenomenal. Yeah. Um, Well, it's fun to to have you here again to chat more about your career and especially about sort of more recent business developments, which I'm excited to to get to. But maybe you can start by telling us kind of about uh, your childhood and where you grew up. I think you were a Texas native. Is that right? Right. I am born and bred Texan. Um, I grew up in South Texas in a small town on the coast called Port Lavaca. And uh, mother, as she would say, my mom Kay is very artsy fartsy. <laughs> so I, I grew up in a very creative, at least on her side, like very creative, artsy. Um, I was enrolled in art classes from when I was really little. And then um, I actually went to boarding school in Indiana. And then I decided, um, as my mom joked, that they OD'd in my independence when they were raising me. I decided to go to college out in Washington State um, in Tacoma at a small school called University of Puget Sound. Um, And I absolutely loved it. So went to college there. My dad was, like, pushing me to major in business. My mom said to major in art. And I was like, no, I'm not going to be a starving artist. So then I decided to be an English major. (laughs) So... um, senior year of college I finally took an art elective and realized that my mom was right they always are it's so frustrating (laughs) yeah so I graduated with a degree in English and I didn't want to be a lawyer or teacher and so I actually moved back to Texas and got my second degree at Texas State um, in graphic design 
So um, I lived in Austin for three years while I went to school down in San Marcos, and then I graduated and then moved to Chicago and started working for um, Accenture doing all of like their brand management with a team of people. We were actually hired by a different company, but Accenture was our client. So that was my first job for, um, for graphic design. And it's amazing. It was like branding 101 and I absolutely loved it. I learned all the ins and outs of, of brand management and just how that all happens and works. And I worked with a ton of different agencies because we had, we had to review all of the print materials before they were released to the public. Um, and electronic. So um, I was a part of a team of people that we were basically reviewing things to make sure they were um, correct for brand standards. If they weren't, then we had to let them know that they needed to make all these changes or give them suggestions how to make it brand appliant. So um, I almost feel like, yeah, I almost feel like those first jobs, um, it's almost like another degree in a way because you're like applying you know, you're using the skills that you learned when you were in school, but now you get the opportunity to actually apply them in a real world context. And of course, all these other people are like more senior than you and have been doing this for a long time. And you're the new person on the block. And so you kind of like have this period where you don't know what you're doing and then you learn and you learn how it all works for real, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It was great. I loved it. It was, and my boss was amazing. It was a team of women. Um, it was amazing. Like I, I would still be there if not for the Chicago winners. So <laughs> I lasted two years in Chicago and then winter was coming and I was like, I have to get out. It was too cold for me. Um, so I moved to San Francisco and worked for a experiential marketing company. So we were part of a team as part of a company that basically like if Microsoft was launching a new product, we were part of that team that, you know, if it was something to, like a conference, like if there was also like, there's a lot of, you know, Fortune 500 companies that were clients or like HP, um, oh gosh, who else? Dell, not Dell, um, Microsoft. It's just, you know, all those companies down the West Coast, um, eBay, we try to get Facebook thousand Facebook was in the beginning, so it didn't happen. Um, but you know, so that was in, that was like 2005, I think was when I was in Chicago. I oh, know when I was in San Francisco and I was there for another year. And what two. is, what is experiential marketing? What does that mean? It's like, uh, so it's like, you know, Levi's Levi's was one of our clients. So if they were releasing a new gene and they, you know, they wanted people to come into their store to try on the jeans. So it was like an event. Okay. Based on a product, like kind of like a launch event, almost like a mixture between like a party. But nowadays, it would have like influencers who came, and there would be lots of photo opportunities for Instagram and stuff like that. Yeah. Nowadays, yes, definitely. But back then, you know, I think it was more of like you know trying to get the public involved or more people to show up at the store. But then, as far as we did a lot of conferences for companies as well. So when companies were releasing you know, either they're having their annual conference or if they're releasing a new product and they want other employees to know about it or experience it or talk about it. So that was the other thing. So, Oh, so interesting. Um, That's a totally yeah. different aspect of branding, you know? It was. Yeah. Yeah, it was. And, and, you know, it was, it was, it was, it was a good job. I learned a lot of lessons and I also learned like what I did not want to do. Sure. Which is also (laughs) super valuable. Yeah. What parts, what parts of it were not such a great fit for your personality? Uh, The management team. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Management was like complete opposite of where I came from, where like my manager in Chicago, like she was like, 
I, tr I hired you for a reason. She was like, you're, you're smart, you communicate well. Like she left me alone and let me do my work. And at this other company, it was the complete opposite where okay. I was micromanaged to a T and I, my personality, I do not do well when I'm right. micromanaged. No one does well when they're micromanaged. Nobody really does. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And so I know you at some point ended up working at Neiman Marcus. I did. Yeah. So, so what I did from there was uh, I left San Francisco. I actually got a great job offer with a company in Dallas. It was an architecture firm called Corgan. And I was there for six and a half years, almost seven years. And that was like another great, like, great company culture, their, their, their work-life balance, you know, the, the, the team of people, all the architects and interior designers that I worked with were incredible, amazing people. Um, but I went as far as I advanced as far as I could in the company. And then I was just basically plateaued and I couldn't get any, I couldn't advance anymore. And so that's when I discovered the job with over at Neiman. So yeah, I worked with, I worked, I switched from Corrigan to Neiman Marcus and, um, and what were you designing at Neiman Marcus? Were you actually like designing clothing or just branding for them or? I was doing branding and marketing. So okay. I was doing all of their um, print materials and then I was doing the branding for their, um, in circle club, um, members. So basically I did all the print work that was like mailers, and then all the signage and everything that was in the store. I basically did everything but the book. So the book was part, that's a whole nother team that's just in charge of putting that beautiful book together monthly or every, I can't remember how many times. I think they do it every month. So that was a different team of designers, but we all worked like on the same floor. Basically, we all sat next to each other. Okay. Um, and I was there for a year. And by that time, I think I'd started picking up quilting and sewing while I was working at Corgan because I was, you know, Wanted to do something creative when I went home, but I didn't want to stand, sit in front of a computer. So that's how I kind of got into sewing. Um, and, and is that – was your mom, like, showing you how to do that? Or is that just were – how were you learning when you were sort of just picking it up to do as a hobby? Oh, my mom was, had, has been trying to get me to call for years. Like, <laughs> again, mom knows best. <laughs> so, but what really happened was I was um, out to brunch with friends. Um, in Dallas and I walked past this modern fabric store called Citycraft and I was like wait a minute these I've never seen fabrics like this like Anna Maria Horner was there she had a, like a line of solids um, it was just really great fabric that to me appeal, appealed to my design sense and you know growing up my mom took me to all of her quilt shops which were more, more traditional different. yeah more traditional more style traditional, yeah um, packed to the gills like just, I remember walking in one and I was like, I cannot sit here. And I just told my mom, I was like, I want to be in the car. I'll so just, like I'll too cluttered, too much merchandise yeah. everywhere. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so that is, so I've discovered Citycraft, beautiful fabric. Um, you know, they offered classes and then I think this was like in the fall and my friends and I were going to have a big dinner party for Christmas. And so I bought some fabric and took it home for Thanksgiving and asked my mom to make these placemats for me. And my mom was like, how many do you need? I was like, about 20. And she was like, I will show you how to make them. So she got, um, she had a little Singer featherweight out and she showed me how to make one. And I remember being like, oh, this isn't as hard as I thought it was going to be. So that's how I learned how to sew. Okay. And then I went back to Dallas and started taking classes at night um, when it, because Citycraft had a ton of class sewing classes. And that's how I learned. I think quilt. that's such an interesting so, story because um, – 
you're kind of like in that way, kind of like the newer generation of quilters. So what appealed to you, like you, you knew about it through your mom, but what appealed to you was like seeing this aesthetic of like modern fabrics and then the merchandising in a more modern um, shop, right? Like that's what appealed to you. And then being able to take those classes at night so that you're working full time, you're busy, you're professional, and classes at night are the ones that, you know, you can get to. It was great. I mean, Callie, Callie was, her shop was amazing and she offered a ton of classes. It was great. And like my, the first quilting class I took um, by this wonderful woman named Susan Ketterer. And she's actually now like, if I get commission queries that I don't have time to do, I'll call her up and be like, I've got this. Can you do this for me? And so now she, it's just funny to think like, you know, what is that was like back in 2014, 2015. So like six, seven years ago, I meet Susan and like now it's like, you you're, know, you're like peers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But she you taught me how to make my first quilt, honestly, for a class. And she was amazing. She was such a great teacher. So, um, so that's kind of what happened. So, yeah. so I was at Neiman's for a year and, you know, after moving so much and like working at all these different companies, like by that point I was super burnt out. Um, because I'm not, I'm, I'm the type of person, if I'm going to do a job, I'm going to do it well. So there was times when it was like a lot of long hours and, um, you know, modern quilting was really picking up momentum and I was looking at all the designers out there and what they were doing. And I remember thinking like, I can do what they're doing. I have all the skill sets, you know, with my graphic design background, I know how to, you know, put together a print booklet. That's not a problem, you know, a print pattern. Um, so I, so I quit my job at Neiman's. And my dad was like, what are you doing? Yeah, I bet. <laughs> You're doing what? And I was like, yep, I don't care. I'm doing this. So I launched my website. And then I was kind of in the beginning doing more commission, like baby quilts and stuff. And then I partnered. Callie um, wanted me to design a quilt because Robert Kaufman was coming out with their new solids. So that was like back in 2014. And that's how I designed I designed the Cascade quilt, which was my first pattern. And I, re- and, and I think she published it, I think it was on Pinterest. And then Nicole Ramirez from Robert Kaufman, she doesn't work there anymore, but she saw my quilt on Pinterest and she contacted me directly and then asked me if I would be interested in turning it into a quilt pattern. And that is how my quilt pattern business became, got started. So, of course, I told her yes, and then I had to go back and figure out how to turn it into <laughs> Right, right. Exactly. Yeah, that's super cool. So a couple of questions. One is, um, how did you come up with the name Initial K? I mean, obviously, that's your first initial for your first name. But was there like a thought process that went on went into naming your business? Yeah. So my mom is really big into initials. So her we have the same initials or we used to before I got married. Um, And so, you know, I thought about you know, naming it Christy Schrader Studios. But then I was like, well, if I get married, I don't want to change. I don't want to change my business name. You know, I didn't want to get into all of that. Um, And then I just thought long term, I didn't want my full name to be associated with my with my company. And so that's how I came up with Initial K. Yeah. And one of the nice things about it, which we'll get to later in this story, but is that it isn't confining. In other words, you didn't call it like, Christy quilts or initial K quilts or something like it's just you know the Instagram handle has studio after it like studio it could yeah. really be anything so if it's not quilts right now and it's something else and then later it's something yeah. else it's all yeah. good yeah definitely I kind of did a deep dive on on you know again back to branding and you know marketing and all of that like in the beginning it took me it took me a while to get there but 
Um, I had some other ideas, but it was going to be more on the quilting side of things. So I'm very glad now that you mentioned all of that. Yeah, (laughs) it is right. It is flexible. And then as far as like your branding and marketing experience of which you had pretty extensive at that point, working with a lot of different companies in different settings, experiences, conferences, print materials, books, all these different things that you created, branding, guidelines, and all of that. I'm wondering when you did start your own business, like what were some of the guiding principles that you brought to it from those experiences as far as from like a branding perspective, like knowing I need to have, you know, this logo and these formats, these colors, just all of that stuff that sometimes somebody who doesn't have a branding background doesn't even realize they're seeing when they see a brand. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's like they don't even notice it because it's so seamless and like, yeah. yeah. As it's supposed to be. Right. Yeah. No, I I think I definitely, I mean, I worked on my identity first before I launched. So I came up with, you know, I had, had my little K mark, which I'm, I'm no, no longer I'm using it anymore, but yeah, I basically created like a little visual identity or branding guideline for myself. Like I picked out the type, I kind of used, picked out the colors that I thought were going to be good. And, you know, like any brand, when you start with one look and feel, it eventually starts to evolve into another, just because as you start your business and you grow and change, so does, you know, so so does your businesses. So I, I, you know, things are a little bit different now with how mine looks, um, but it's still the same. You know, I wanted to keep mine. I actually hired somebody else to do my branding for my re for my rebranding just because, I didn't have the time yeah. or the, the headspace to do it. And I'd been wanting a change for a while. So I hooked up with um, two designers in Dallas and they did a great job. But I told them we had a long discussion about like, do we do a stylized K? Do we not? And I was like, you know what? I don't want to be stuck with something that's stylized now. That's going to, you know, five years from now look very dated. Um, so that's how I changed my logo just to have the little initial K. The K is like in the little box. Um, on my website and, and my colors are pretty reflective of, of what my pattern, like my color palettes, I like to use my patterns, um, which that may change in, in later on, but which I'm okay with. So, um, and, and I kind of, so, I really yeah. like the progression of it So Yeah. But yeah. it's hard. Like, <laughs> branding is hard. If you, if you, if you're a lay person and you're not familiar with it, it, you know, you, you do, you don't realize that you're like, Oh, you see something that's very seamless, but there is a team of people behind that, that make it look very seamless. That's a hundred percent true. And, um, and it can help to, to like either have the background or if you don't have the background, almost like be in business for a while so that you understand what it is you want the look to, to be. Because as you said, you had a long conversation just about, the font of the K, right? And so it's like, how can you really engage in those long conversations if you haven't had any experience inside this brand and and know like, so it's almost like you can launch with like a DIY version, but then when you're ready and you've had some time in it, then you can yeah. really speak in an informed way about what you want. Yeah, definitely. And I think too, like, you know, that's the beauty of the internet and Pinterest and Google, like Google search. You know, if you see something a brand or if you see uh, an, uh, an advertisement or whatever, and you're like, I really like that color palette, or I really like how that K, how that letter looks, you know, I, I mean, I save a ton of stuff that I come across that I think is intriguing that I like personally. And then, you know, when I had the design conversation with, with, with um, Deloche branding, um, you know, they saw my website, they saw my work and we really did seamlessly come together with, 
with what we, you know, what we came up with. Yeah. And you can keep those on like a private Pinterest board. So it's not something that you're necessarily sharing with the world, but it's almost like using Pinterest for what Pinterest is supposed to be used for, which is basically like a pin board where you're keeping your ideas. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. And it's a good idea to track them so that when you do need them, you have them. Yeah. And and the more you start pinning things, then it's funny when you go back a year later and you're like, oh, I really do like this one. You'll see a certain palette pop up or a certain style. Like then it becomes even more clear, like the direction that you want to go. So I'd say for people who aren't, you know, who, who are starting out or who want to get their branding, you know, if they're, if they're, you know, an entrepreneur, you know, I kind of feel like just start saving things that you, that catch your eye. And then like six months later, take a look at it and you'll start to see an evolution of, of your style. I want to take a minute now to talk about our sponsor, Schiffer Craft. Schiffer Publishing has been a leading publisher in the craft industry for five decades. Their mission is to build the knowledge base for craft communities, large and small, while staying ahead of trends in the industry. Schiffercraft's titles range in topics from ceramics, fiber and textiles, floral design, glass art, woodworking, metal craft and jewelry, and leather, painting, and more. By partnering with renowned artists, craftspeople, makers, authors, and organizations, they've built a legacy of providing expert knowledge and inspirational books to the industry. Whether someone's a beginner or an expert, Their books provide the perfect amount of inspiration, examples, how-to, and instructions needed to succeed. Along with crafting high-quality books, Schiffer Craft partners with groups, museums, and businesses to help extend their mission in craft, including organizations like the Barnes Foundation, the Center of Art in Wood, Quilts of Valor, Harrisville Designs, the Fine Arts Museum of San Francisco, Mackenzie Childs, the Morse Museum of American Art, and many more. Also, their custom publishing arm provides a full suite of sophisticated services to creatives and organizations looking to convey their value in a powerful way. Visit their website, www.shiffercraft.com, and click on Submit a Proposal to see what magic you can make together and provide to the industry. Remember to sign up for their mailing list so you can be the first to know about exclusive offers on upcoming craft titles. You can sign up at www.shiffercraft.com. Thank you so much, Shiffercraft. And now back to my conversation with Christy. Um, You had that one pattern that came about because a fabric company saw your quilt and asked, would you turn it into a pattern? And so that kind of started the pattern business side in addition to the commission pieces. Um, And so then you went on to develop other, other ones and then also to write this book. Yes. Yes. So I wrote Southwest Modern. That was, um, that was published in 2017. I pitched it to Suzanne at QuiltCon in Pasadena, I think, was that in 2015, 2016, 2015, I think. I can't, rem- I can't remember when it was in Pasadena. Uh, but I pitched it to her that February, and she was like, this is really interesting. And she basically was like, I like your idea, because I told her I wanted to be a travel, you know, a traveling quilt book. 
Um, and she said to write a proposal. So I went home and spent, I was in February. I think I spent like six weeks on it, like six to eight weeks, like designed all the quilts, did all the, did, did all the design work in the very beginning. And I started the proposal and then we signed the contract that summer. And that's, that's actually kind of unusual. You don't actually have to design all the quilts before you submit, I mean, as part of the book proposal. Like you yeah. can have yeah. like a design or two and then like a table of contents and idea of where you're headed. Yeah. But like just so people don't get a concern that I have to write this whole book before <laughs> I submit it. No, I mean, I did the table of contents and I, I had submitted a few ideas and Suzanne was like, I, you know, I'd rather, she wanted to see more designs. Like she wanted to see exactly what I was, what I was picturing. So then I would just went back and like spent a week and knocked it all out. Uh-huh. So yeah. um, we signed it then. And I'm glad that we did because we signed it that summer. Um, and that was when, because by then I was working for myself and I decided to move from Dallas to Austin to be closer to my family who was still on the coast um, in Corpus Christi and so I moved to Austin and that's like a three hour drive from my, from my family. So um, I moved to Austin in August and then I did all the, like I produced half the quilts in like six weeks. And then we had to go in October um, with the photographer who I used to work with at my architecture firm. So I was able to hire him to do all the photography. For Wonderful. The yeah. And the photography yeah. is just beautiful. It's so yeah. stark and bright. And like you shared one, um, a, a still from that book project on your Instagram recently. And I was like, oh, that's from the book. Like it's very identifiably, do you know what I mean? Like a piece of that book, yeah. you know? So Yeah. Cool. Thank you. Yeah. So the photographer is Kurt Griesbach, um, and he still works for Corgan and he is an amazing photographer. He's an amazing human. Like I loved working with him when I was there. So, um, you know, again, it's like the relationships that you establish, Yeah. Uh, you know, come full school. But I remember contacting him and I was like, Hey, I've got this project. I really want you to do this for me. What do you think? And he was like, Sign me up. But basically I had to pitch him to Suzanne and then Suzanne had to, you know, she hired him separately to do the book. Um, but what Kurt and I worked really well together and it was the, the New Mexico photo shoot was like a three day whirlwind of us like getting up at six in the morning and going out and photographing and coming back at like, you know, six or seven. And my mom was with us. So she was like making dinner for us. And then we'd go over all the images and plan out the next day when I was like, okay, this is working, this isn't working. And then we'd go back out and, and keep shooting. So that's what we did. And then um, we fin- we wrapped it up in three days. And then um, I went back to Austin and made the second half of the book, all the quilts. And then we went down, to, we went to West Texas in February and shot the rest of the quilts. Um, and my now husband was with us. He was, he was our driver, <laughs> my boyfriend at the time. Um, and I remember that trip being like, this is either going to make the relationship right. or break it. <laughs> it ended up uh, making it. So um, it was great. Like it was, you know, it was exactly, I knew exactly where I wanted to photograph the quilts, where they are photographed, the ones that I designed for those specific places. Like I knew exactly in my head, this is where I want to go. This is what this is going to look like. And Kurt just brought it to fruition. And it was, I remember having a moment like, in the middle of it, just being like, this is becoming a reality. And then I started freaking out because it was becoming a reality. And then I was so worried that the book wasn't going to do well. And, you know, it's all the things that the creatives, you know, you can psych yourself out. But um, 
I was very, very happy with the end of the book. So. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I think it's, it also speaks a lot to Suzanne Woods. Um, may she rest in peace because she was a wonderful force in the industry. And I think the publishing house that she founded and created, Lucky Spool, really published different kinds of books, books that were really beautiful. She truly understood quilting and she wasn't afraid to try something new and different and, you know, with a totally different kind of cover or just a totally different kind of concept and, um, and really created a, a wonderful legacy, I feel like. She did. I mean, she was the only person that I trusted um, my book with, my idea with. She was the only one. I mean, I did a lot of research and I met a lot of the other publishers and, and they're all lovely, amazing companies and women who are running it. But um, I knew my vision and I knew what I wanted to do. And after talking to Suzanne, like I knew she was the one who was going to give me the ability to do what I wanted to a hundred percent. Like she, she was just basically like, take it and run with it. And I'm so thankful for that. Um, yeah. Yeah. She did. Her, her, oh, I mean, there's so many days that I think about her and I'm, get sad because of her, you know, her two boys and all of that. But um, she left such a great legacy. She really like, did. What, what an amazing thing to leave to your family. I know. No, totally. I, I understand because um, I saw her at Quilt Market, you know, um, I guess short, shortly before she got sick again. It just was very, very sad. So I hear you. And I think, you know, there are special people in this industry who really do special things and leave an important stamp. And she was one of them. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. yeah, yeah. Okay, so you had this book, and you had um, more patterns. Clearly, I think one of the experiences of writing a book is that you write so many patterns for the book that then you're just like on a deadline, like having to get them done in six weeks or whatever it was that yeah. then, um, yeah. you know, writing a, an, in, like a, a single pattern that becomes, you know, a PDF or even a print pattern, it stops being so, um, daunting seeming like you, you've just uh-huh. been in that rhythm. At least for me, like that's how it was after I wrote my book. I was like, well, I've had to write one of these every three weeks. So I'll just keep going, you know? Yeah. 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 Definitely. Yeah. yeah totally. Yeah. No, I mean, I kept, I kept writing patterns. Um, and I've been writing a few before the book, you know, again, it is once you get into a rhythm, you right. know what you need to do, you know, the, you know, the whole ins and outs of it. Um, so I kept doing the patterns and then I got married and the book was published within a week of each other. Wow. <laughs> so that was in 2017. That was in October. Um, and then, you know, then it was like the book was released and then, you know, doing a few teaching things and tours. Um, and then lo and behold, my, my oldest showed up nine months later. So I got pregnant and then I had my son. Um, and at that point, like, I remember telling my husband, like, I'm going to try and keep working. You know, I still want to develop more patterns and this and that. And I started to try it and I was just like, I can't do this. Like, so I took a break. I took a, I took a break from, um, writing my patterns and I kind of took a break from business. Um, and then, um, this kind of segues in how I like fell into needlepoint. But yeah. my oldest was diagnosed at four months old. Um, uh, we gave him formula for the first time at four months and he had a anaphylaxis allergic reaction oh and gosh. we had to rush him to the hospital and we discovered he was allergic to dairy. Um, and he was born, he was five pounds, 15 ounces. So he's in the one percent. Also my pediatrician was like, you, 
you really need to start like upping your supply. So I had to start pumping around the clock, um, which is not, I mean, this is TMI, but like pumping is oh gosh. not a plus. I have three like, kids. I nurse three kids. I yeah. get it. I, I hear you. Yeah. So I had to start pumping. I basically had it. She was basically like, you have to give him this X amount of ounces a day to get his weight up and to make sure, you know, he's thriving. So I had to pump around the clock. And I remember being like, I'm going to, I'm going crazy. Like it was so hard. And so I um, discovered Emily Peacock and she is a, a British designer who has these amazing um, cross stitch kits that you can buy. And it's basically um, the British do their, their needlepoint or cross stitch is a little different in that they offer kits with a blank canvas and they have a printout of the design on a grid. And then they send you all the, all the thread that goes with it. So I bought like two of Emily's kits. And that is what I did to keep my sanity while I was pumping. Love it. Was and they're kind of like animals. Like she's like a crab and like that. that yeah. yeah. And they're very, yeah. they're modern, but they have like a graphic, like a pretty strong graphic. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So I stitched um, the prawn, Erica the prawn and Tia the crab for my niece and nephew <laughs> while I was pumping with, for my son. Um, and that really did like help my sanity get through everything. Um and then I got pregnant with my second kiddo um, soon after Dylan's first birthday. So my boys were 21 months apart. Um, and I think it was really like while I was kind of taking a break from the quilting that I was just like, I'm going to look into this needlepoint side of things just because it was so therapeutic for me to do while I was like trying to, you know, keep my mind from going crazy from pumping. Um, and I had to pump again for my second child exclusively. So, um, I really did. Um, I don't know. It's just like the business idea. I was like, I think I just want to try something different because the quilting, I don't know if it's because when I started my business and how I did my patterns and then I wrote my book, like there was so much stuff that I did in such a short period of time. Right. It sounds like it. That I, that I feel like I was just like, I needed a break from it. Like, and that I think that happened naturally because of my firstborn, um, showing up. Um, and then with Drew, my second born, um, I had him last April. So that was in the height of the pandemic. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, um, and then unfortunately I had some really serious major, um, post-labor complications and I had to have, I had three surgeries in two weeks and the last surgery, two weeks postpartum. So I had one right after he was born. I had to have an emergency, um, DNC awake because my, my placenta wouldn't come out. And so that was not good. And then I got, I had a second DNC a week later cause I was still like having complications, like super high fever and not recovering. And then I had to go back into the hospital. Okay. And this is like during COVID where I had to walk in by myself, oh my gosh. you know, one week postpartum, I was a uh, hot mess, uh, uh. you know, being so sick. And then after the second DNC, um, I still wasn't doing well. Like a week later, I called my doctor and I was like, something's wrong. I was like, something is wrong. Like something is wrong and I don't know what it is. And so I went back to the hospital and they did an MRI and there was a mass still in my uterus. Um, and she came back like an hour later and was like, we have to do an emergency hysterectomy. I was just like, oh my gosh. okay. Like, yeah, So that was, that was, that was two weeks postpartum. Um, it was super brutal. And, you know, Physically, it was hard. Mentally, I was like, I don't even know how to react to it. My, right. my doctor was just like, she's like, you're so calm. And I just looked at her and I was like, I can't 
process. I'm this. just like numb, right? <laughs> it's like, yeah, I was yeah. totally just like, I was like, I just want to, I was basically was just like, I just want to recover so I can go back home and take care of my boys. Mm-hmm. Like that was what I told her. I was just like, this is me surviving. I will survive. Um, and then the nurses on the, on the floor, on the labor and delivery floor were so amazing that they advocated. They called, I guess the head person was like, her husband needs to be, you know, needs to be in a room whenever she wakes up from the surgery. Cause it was again, COVID nobody, yeah. I had already had my baby. So he wasn't, right. you know, wasn't to be in the hospital with me. And luckily he was, he was there when I woke up from surgery. Oh, um, God. But that honestly, that whole episode afterwards, um, before Drew showed up, like I had started doing some, some product research on turning my quilt designs into needlepoint canvas. So I was working on my own samples, but I really dove into it after I got home, like after I was, you know, six weeks later, eight weeks later, you know, I had to stay in bed the whole time and recover. And that really helped me. Um, needlepoint really did help me get over, not get over, but help me process. My yeah. Trauma. Get through. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, um, and I wondered when, you know, needlepoint is a whole other area of, um, creativity. So I've done some, um, articles and things like that about needlepoint and needlepoint designers. And, um, and you mentioned in the UK, you, as a consumer, you get a blank canvas and then a printed pattern and then the, all the threads that you need. Um, but then there's also these hand painted canvases yes. that are extremely expensive where, <laughs> right. Okay. And, and then my understanding with those though, is that the artist paints the original and then you send it somewhere and it's often like overseas, like to the Philippines or something. And then all of the reproductions of it are hand painted, but they're hand painted by other people. And that, that seemed to be like what I understood from the way this works. So tell us what you learned when you were kind of diving into some market research on how to create needlepoint canvases. Um, so I, um, touched base actually with a a fabulous needlepoint designer, um, Tess Cavalli of Hello Tess Design. Um, and I reached out to her and she had been following me on Instagram for, for a long time. So she was like, so we got it. It was just really like the serendipitous moment. And I was like, Hey, do you mind if I talk to you? I'm really interested in, in, you know, doing this side of my business. And she really was such a great mentor. And she kind of did give me the ins and outs of like, okay, this is the lay of the land. This is what happens. This is, you know, progress. Uh, But it was also during the pandemic. So a ton of new needlepoint designers were popping up, you know, because people had time to be at home or some people no longer have jobs, like whatever. So a lot of needlepoint designers, new designers were coming into the market. Um, And then, you know, I, I, I'm not keeping up with quilting as much, but in the needlepoint industry, like the supply chain changed because of COVID. And so, you know, there was a flood of new designers who were trying to reach out to the painting service companies to do their designs, but the painting service companies didn't have, you know, the resources to keep up with the demand one because of COVID and two, you know, they needed to keep their workers safe. So a lot of the time, like the production timelines changed to work. What would normally take, eight to 12 weeks now takes like six to eight months of, you know, of getting your, your designs painted and produced. Um, but luckily I was able to find a company, um, us based, but they do the production in China. Um, and I, and I reached out to this, to this company and was just like, I'm a new designer. I've got like, I had a, again, like me being the, 
you know, graphic designer, I had a proposal created. I created a proposal with all the, the canvases that I wanted to be produced. And I had like the size, the colorways, like everything spelled out. So there was no question, like everything was crystal clear. Um, and he came back and told me the estimate of how much it would cost to do. Uh, but I did, I painted, so the, so the first, the art needlepoint designer will paint a master and then the master gets sent to the company and then that's when they go. And the difference between um, a painted canvas and a printed canvas, when it's painted, it's called stitch paint. So whenever you're needlepointing the canvas, there's no question, you know exactly what color goes in each intersection. Does that make sense? Yeah. Or sometimes with the printing process with the canvas, you know, the print, if it's screen printed, um, which I think they are, I'm not exactly sure how, how printed needle point canvases are produced, but you know, the, the printing could shift. And so there's a question when you get to a section, you're like, Oh, do I, do I stitch it in black or do I stitch it in white? Like, because it's not clear where the intersection is. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Yeah. hundred percent, which is why it needs to be hand painted. And that's why, that's why the hand painted canvases are more expensive. But, you know, I think, People who like quilters, needlepointers, um, you know, it's an art. You know, you stitch it. It's an art. It's a craft. It, it's everything is done by hand. Um, and I think needlepointers are extremely particular, just like quilters are. Yeah, I do. Yeah. You know, it's the same thing with um, with actually with like hand knit sweaters and things like yeah. that, where it's like, yeah, you could get the less expensive material. But if you're going to spend, you know, 22 hours making the sweater. Exactly. Do you yeah. really want it to be done? Yeah. Like what yeah. material do you want to use? You know, so it's, yeah. that's 100%. kind of the investment of time and the investment of money on materials kind of equal yeah. one another in that way. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of the biggest difference. So it's called, so the, the hand painted canvases, they call it, they're stitch painted because it leaves out the, the guesswork when you're actually needlepointing it. Okay. Stitch yeah. Painted. Yeah, but I saw like on the listings and your e-commerce shop for these that you need to clarify to people that they are not pre-stitched. And I thought that was really interesting because I was like, she wouldn't have written that if someone didn't buy it thinking it was pre-stitched and then get upset. So I wondered if when, you know, it's kind of like when you're selling PDF quilt patterns or PDF sewing patterns in general, you need to make very clear to people, look, this is a digital file. It's going to be delivered to you in a PDF version. It's not the finished quilt or whatever. And it's not a printed pattern. Like you have to really spell that out. So I wondered when you're making the e-commerce listings for Needlepoint, what kinds of things do you have to like make crystal clear to the consumer? Yeah, well, I you know I put that line in there based on doing the research of other needle pointers. Like I noticed they all put that last little bit at mm-hmm. the end, and I was like, oh, I guess this may have been a problem in the past. Right. Okay. I just, I just want to make it crystal clear, but you know, for the listing, like stitch painted, like I think that's the number one thing is stitch paint because you know, some people may balk at the pricing, but I'm like, this is something that's been hand painted. And plus like the design work that goes into it to figure out, you know, the right is, you know, it's just, it's just part of why it's, why it's price point the way it is. Yeah. Because we, get, we figure out everything before you have to, the designer does. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the size and um, I need to go back in because I'm going to be offering my canvases at, as needlepoint kits. So they'll get the, the fibers as well as the canvas and the needle. Um, 
And then I'll probably actually put the colorway of the colors that I picked as well in the product listing for the people who just want to buy the canvas and then go to the, you know, their local needlepoint shop right? and buy it themselves, which I think is great. You know, I, I, for me, it's like, I want to support myself, but I also want to support other businesses, you know, lo- local needlepoint shops. So yeah, um, absolutely. So we, ha- we have one here in, in Wellesley where I live. Um, there's a local needlepoint shop in my town. So definitely hear that, you know, wanting to, to support them. But at the same time, I think kits are such a good idea because the consumer gets everything they need and then they're able to start right away and don't have to hunt down specific colors that they may not yeah. be able to find. So, you know, especially for, for the person who's a working professional that doesn't have time right. to go. To go, I mean, that to me really was like who I was thinking about was the customer, you know, the consumer who has a full time job or could be, you know, a stay at home mom who doesn't have the time, who does not have the time to go out to their local needlepoint shop to pick up what they need. Like, you know, so I kind of, you know, I think there's, there's, there's um, two different schools of thought. And I think it's the same kind of applies in the quilt industry that I've heard, you know, that the, the, the Old school, you know, some people don't want to work with designer, needlepoint designers who have a retail site, you know, local needlepoint shops only want to work with a designer who has, who only offers wholesale only, Um, which I kind of am like, I understand, I understand that thinking, but at the same time, I'm like, no, we're all here to help out each other. Because if I come up with a design or something, a new per, a new person, like a quilter sees I'm doing needlepoint and they're like, oh, that's interesting. And they buy one of my canvases you know, once they finish it, they're going to want to do another one. So they'll go to their local needlepoint shop and discover a whole new world of all these different designers are absolutely amazing. I mean, that's what I felt like when I fell into the needlepoint industry and discovering all these designers who are all so flippant talented and incredible and different and totally different from quilting. Like, I think that's why I love it so much. It's just I'm learning so much more and discovering something new and challenging myself. Um, So I kind of, I, I don't know. Like, I hope I'm a little nervous with me launching all of this because I've, I've put a lot of time and effort and money into my inventory and I'm hoping everything will sell so I can pay my bills. I mean, I'll be able to pay my bills, but um, I'm hoping I'll be able to pick up some wholesale accounts on the needlepoint side. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And because are you, I, how, how are you thinking about um, trade shows? Obviously everything was virtual this past year, but the world is starting to yeah. open up again and we're starting to see, in-person trade shows pop back up on the calendar in the end of 2021 into 2022. And so I don't know if you have been to maybe quilt market in the past or not, or how are you thinking about, you know, trade shows for this new product line in the future? Are you considering those? I know it's hard to travel with two little kids too. Yeah, that's the biggest thing. I mean, I'm not going to travel with my boys, especially because, you know, it's post COVID, but they're so little. I don't, you know, I don't want to expose them because they're not going to get the vaccine anytime soon, obviously. Um, so it's really like working with my husband and his work schedule and then either convincing my mom, KK, to come up and help my husband out <laughs> if I have to be gone for like, you know, five days. Um, but I don't know. I was thinking about that. I don't know. Like, I love going to quilt market um, because, you know, I'm in Texas, so that's like a short drive for me to go to Sure. Um, and I love going to quilt market to see everyone and see what the trends are and see what all the designers are doing and the fabric companies. Um, I don't, I don't, I just don't know, like with my transition to needlepoint, if going to quilt market will, will help me. Uh, maybe it will, because I feel like it goes hand in hand being in a creative industry. Um, but they do have um, two conferences or two trade shows for the needlepoint 
market. One's in October or September in Dallas. And then the other one in the spring is in Florida. Yeah. Destination Dallas. And then uh, I forgot what's the springtime needlepoint show or whatever it's called. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm hoping to make it to one of those, but then it also depends on um, cause someone told me like, when you go to the needlepoint market, like you need to have all of your inventory. Cause it's cash and carry. Yeah. There are a lot of them are sweet or they're sweet style shows. So that's, and they're not in a convention center. They're in hotel suites. You come yeah. into each person's suite, you look around and then it's really, you buy what you want and you buy yeah. inventory at the show, which is very different from quilt market. Yeah. It's totally, it's the complete opposite. Yes. And then I'm like, oh gosh, like then it, that's like, you know, putting a lot of money into inventory that you're like, not even sure it's going to sell because I'm doing retail as well as wholesale. So that's kind of the, the, I don't know if I'm, you know, I'm definitely going to go to the market. I'll definitely go to destination Dallas, maybe just as, um, just to go and check it out and see a network and talk to other people. But I don't know if, um, I think it just depends on how this first, first launch goes this summer with my canvases and how well they sell. Yeah, I was really interested to hear from you that there was a lot of new needlepoint designers coming into the market during COVID because I was not clued into that, but that's really interesting to hear. I mean, I know a lot more people pursued, you know, handwork of all different kinds, but that's interesting that there's been new designers. So, you know, as these new, as these um, trade shows come back online, you know, are back in person, um, I would be interested to see too whether the presence of these new designers changes those shows or whether COVID itself changed those shows in some ways that are, have a lasting impact too. So that'll be interesting to observe. Yeah, it will be. I mean, definitely. I think, I think it's going to be, it'll be interesting to see what happens in the next, you know, couple years, the, the, you know, how, what happens. Um, But I'm also, you know, after talking to a couple of shops that were basically, they were like, we, we're not, they basically said, you know, your work is great, but we only work with designers who have wholesale line only. Um, now I'm like, okay, well, now I've got to design a wholesale line only of... Right. That would be another strategy where you have yeah. some that are available direct to consumer yeah. from a retail standpoint yeah. on your own site, and then you have an exclusive line that's just yeah. wholesale. So that's another interesting way to yeah. approach this. So yeah. um so yeah. I'm working on that now. That's cool. We, yeah, that's um, a cool strategy. Um, which is good. Yeah. Well, I, I love this um, pivot, and I think that it's encouraging because our lives change. I mean, that's just the reality. And when you are the brand and it's just you, you know, you have yeah. to be able to embrace that change. Otherwise, you're going to give up and just get out of the industry entirely. So this yeah. was a way yeah. for you to go from keeping your aesthetic, keeping your design style, you know, keeping your creativity, but to go from, and it's not that you won't go back to quilting or, you know, continue yeah. to pursue them side by side or, or completely change and do something totally different, you know, under the yeah. initial K brand in the future. But I think it's... Yeah. I just a good like message to say like you can pivot and change and like your audience will come with you. You don't have to start a new Instagram and a new brand. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's been, you know, plus it's like keeping my sanity, like my, and my mental health. Like that was the, that was the number one reason why I decided to to pivot to needlepoint because it really truly did um, help me recover from all of my trauma. Like, and I think, I think it's so important for people nowadays to like, you know, a lot, a lot of the designers and people that I follow in the needlepoint industry, like a lot of people talk about mental health and how much needlepoint yeah. has helped them um, just 
not recover, but just get better. And it is, it's so therapeutic. Like that's the thing because when my husband and I are like sitting you know, after the boys go to bed and we're like winding down, you know, I don't want to be on my phone. I don't, I like try and keep my phone tucked away. And so now it's like, it's just nice. I can sit down and I can just start stitching and I can just feel the stress start to like melt away as I'm doing all this handwork. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm really, yeah, I'm really excited. I'm really excited to, to release this, this, you know, the new product out to the world. And I hope people enjoy it as much as I have just because it's really, really truly is like, it's really helped me with my recovery. And I want to make sure we get to your um, recommendations quickly. So, um, yeah, oh gosh, yes. you've got a few. Um, so <laughs> you were saying that you're counting down the days for a Ted Lasso season two, which starts up yes. um, next month, it sounds like. I have not. July I have not, 23rd. Okay. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about why you like it. Oh, are you kidding? Like, it's the, it's such a great show. Like, I haven't it's such watched a good it. Okay. Oh my gosh, Abby, you have to watch I it. I know, so I'm good. a terrible, I'm terrible. I don't watch television, so I like am totally out of the loop on everything good. It's it's bad, it, I know. This is like, this is the one show I'm going to say, please watch okay. it. Like watch one episode. <laughs> okay. Like I remember a friend of mine was like, oh, you need to watch this. And I was like, uh, and then we, my husband and I started it and we were like, this is amazing. Oh like, my gosh, okay. I think it showed up in the perfect time that the world needed a bit of like a happy story and it's just the characters and the people and the storyline. It's an amazing show. Like it is such a great show. Okay. So please, please watch at least one episode. Okay. And you're going to get me. hooked. <laughs> um, and then you were saying that you are enjoying also going to the pool with your boys to avoid tex- the Texas yes. heat. Yes. Yes. It is brutal. Texas. It's, brutal in the summertime and you're either inside in the air conditioner or you're at a pool at a friend's pool or community pool or you're at the beach or wherever so yeah Mm -hmm. it's been it's been fun and my boys are in swim lessons you know they're um want 14 months and my oldest is soon to be three so you know it's it's been fun to see them it's it's just fun to be with them in the water and yeah and and just watch them splash and play and have fun and it keeps us all cool so yeah I'm tired. Let's let's not forget that. I like, know. Yeah. Kids who go swimming, they come home and they sleep so well. That is always like the best trick. Yes. A hundred percent. So that <laughs> check all the boxes where you're like, energy is depleted, they're tired, they've had fun, they're outdoors, you know, we've all stayed cool. So. Right. Yeah, that's great. Well, Christy, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I really enjoyed talking with you. Abby, appreciate it. And you've been listening to the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Today's podcast was brought to you by Schiffer Craft. Since 1973, Schiffer Publishing has provided the craft industry with world-renowned authors and insightful books. With topics ranging from ceramics to fiber and textiles, floral design, glass art, woodworking, metal craft, and more. Turn to Shiffercraft for expert knowledge and inspiration. Thank you so much, Shiffercraft. Craft Industry Alliance is a community for craft professionals. And when you become a member of Craft Industry Alliance, you get in-depth coverage of craft industry news, the opportunity to connect with fellow professionals for advice and support, and access to an educational library filled with ideas, tools, and resources to help you as you build your business. Join us at craftindustryalliance.org. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next time.